Right, so I'm here again. And we started with uh, Daniel 7 uh, last week. So what I'll do, I'll do a small uh, recap, a few minutes. So if you did not uh, listen to the previous message or you are watching online first time, uh, you'll be able to understand the context of what we are actually talking about. So uh, we started by talking that about Daniel, the book of Daniel, that it's split into two big sections, two big parts. From chapter 1 to 6, it's the historical part, and from chapter 7 to 12 is the prophetic part. Uh, we talked about Daniel 7, Daniel, the book of Daniel being uh, one of the most sort of condensed uh, books in the Bible, one of the most, uh, uh, the richest book of prophetic language in the Bible. And uh, as Rob mentioned, uh, I'm, I was intending to finish Daniel 7, but you can never really finish Daniel 7, because Daniel 7 is, uh, has got so much in it that what we'll do, we'll probably just scratch the surface again. But this gives you probably some tools to try and do it yourselves and get into the scriptures yourself. Now, Daniel, the book of Daniel especially, and many other scriptures in, in the Bible, uh, need to be interpreted correctly. And the best way to do it is always uh, use the Bible to interpret the Bible. You couldn't, couldn't do better than, than do that. The book of Daniel uh, links directly to the book of Revelation. There is a huge amount of information. There are lots of parallels. And you can actually find uh, books and uh, articles that will literally list on one side Daniel and the other side Revelation, for example, or other prophets. And this gives a really good insight to how the Old Testament and the New Testament are really one book inspired by God, yeah? So often people say, oh, it's the New Testament, this is the Old Testament, and we really, it's not applicable. Uh, the Old Testament is as applicable today as it's always been applicable. And uh, it shows that it's exactly the same inspired word of God. So Daniel 7 started with uh, the vision of Daniel. We talked about it being uh, similar to the vision of Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2, where he sees the statue with the golden head and the silver chest and arms and uh, the bronze legs and tummy and then the, um, the uh, clay feet and the toes and the iron mixed with the clay. So we get the iron legs, then the, the iron goes down and turns into ten toes and they're mixed with iron and clay. So this is a mixture of uh, things. We talked about it uh, being the four beasts that we saw. The, we saw the four beasts rising in his dream, the lion representing Babylon, the bear representing uh, the uh, Persian, Medo-Persian Empire, the leopard representing the Greek Empire and the swiftness of Alexander the Great, and we also mentioned that um, chapter 8 describes it in more detail, and chapter 8 actually um, inspired Alexander the Great not to take over Jerusalem when he was shown the book of Daniel, which is a, a sort of a miracle from God, yeah? That he, he realized this is a, a prophecy about me. And I think the, using the book of Daniel to prove that the Lord is true is amazing because nobody can come and say that uh, the Bible is not true. Because if, if Daniel could see that hundreds of years prior to his time, we can absolutely trust in God's word. Yeah? God can see the future, can see the past. We talked about that as well, that um, God is able to see through time. That he is beyond time and space. He can see the end from the beginning. For him, it's already happened. We are just on the timeline. Then we have the vision of the fourth beast, which is the sort of the most horrible beast. It's, it's so horrible that Daniel can't find even a, an, a match in the animal world. There is no animal that matches. It's just a terrible one with a 
iron teeth, and uh, this really represents the, the rise of the Roman Empire. Uh, this is also parallel in Revelation 13. We talked about that. And then we have the ten horns that come out of this uh, beast. And then we have a, a one horn that seems to take over three horns and uh, the eleventh horn, really, and uh, sort of dominate strongly. Now, the fourth beast is, as we say, is the Roman Empire. And just a, a quick recap, we, this is the last kingdom described here before the fifth kingdom, which we're going to mention, talk about more today. So there have only been four empires or four kingdoms as far as God is concerned. And the fourth kingdom is the one which we are still in. The, the fourth kingdom started with the Roman Empire, and many will say that uh, you can split it probably into four periods. The first period is the period uh, up to the collapse of the Roman Empire, which is probably at around the 15th century, the Byzantine side of the Roman Empire. Then we have the second part, which is uh, sort of the east-west uh, power balance, which we are living in. We can see that from uh, the, the east and the west. We are coming now to the end of this period, and we can see the transition in our world of what's happening. We are moving to the stage where the Roman Empire becomes a global government, the one world government, and this is where we are, I believe we are heading for at this point. The last empire, the last part of the fourth kingdom is really the kingdom of the Antichrist. And this is uh, where we see the ten horns, or the toes as described in chapter 2, uh, rising. There are going to be ten kingdoms. Now, there are lots of discussions and debates about what are these ten kingdoms. And I won't uh, get into that. I'll just give you the opinions. And uh, some say there are 10 European countries that will rise and will dominate. Some say they are 10 world districts, so the world will be divided into 10 areas that will be controlled. Uh, both opinions have footing in scriptures. We know that the dominion of the one world government will be uh, all over the world. So people say, well, the ten areas have to be controlled. Some people say it will be controlled still from Europe, from the old Roman Empire, but it will control the whole world. So as with prophecy, uh, the great thing about prophecy, we don't know when we are far away. You know, we talked about the journey. You come to a city, you don't see. As we get closer to the events, we can pinpoint. So we have to admit that we don't have an explanation for everything that we read in the scriptures. And people ask me, how do you explain that? How do you explain that? No, I don't know. Sometimes I just don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us, doesn't give us all the information. God has kept things uh, as a mystery, and he will reveal them at the right time. Same as for Daniel. You know, remember, Daniel is what it's about. He says, it's not for you. It's for future generations. You have to uh, just write it down. Now, we can tell huge amount of prophecies have been fulfilled because we are looking at it from the right side of history. Yeah, we say, oh, yeah, this is what is meant. The two horns are the... Mids and the Persians rising. We can see the, the goat attacking the ram, dis destroying the Persian Empire, as we, we, we can see in chapter 11 in Daniel. But if we lived before the events, we probably would, wouldn't know what it was talking about. Well, who, what is Greece? Greece hardly existed in the 6th century BC. It was Greece. I mean, he's talking about the, the king of Greece. I mean, it was probably a little village that nobody even knew. So, the same applies to future events. As we get closer, we'll say, ah, yes, that's what the Bible meant. Ah, now we understand this. So we shouldn't be too sort of um, stressed about it and say, oh, this prophecy is not true because we can't explain it. Well, God doesn't want you to know. He wants you to trust in him. We live by faith and we trust in God. But we know that whatever God says would happen, would happen, will happen, exactly as God has predicted. So we have the little horn, and the little horn rises. We said, we talked a little bit about the little horn. Uh, it's known as the Antichrist, although the name Antichrist is not mentioned. Uh, he should really be called uh, Big Mouse, 
based on scriptures because he doesn't stop talking. You know, that's what it looks like to me. Yes, he seems to talk a lot and control the world with speech. He's blasphemous, he's anti-God, he's authoritarian, he's got the power of, dev of the devil on earth, he's uh, practically representing the power of the devil on earth. And you often see people, oh yes, we will recognize the Antichrist when he comes, this is going to be uh, very easy to recognize him. Now first, it's very likely that we will not be here, because the, the Bible promises that the believers in Christ will be taken out before the tribulation period. We are not talking about the tribulation period a lot today because this is a whole set of studies, separate set of studies. But the Antichrist will not rise as an evil man. If you think for a moment that you'll re people will recognize it, you are deceived because he's going to deceive the whole world. He will look like the best possible world leader ever existed. He will solve all the problems. He will tackle all the issues. He will bring health. He will bring safety. He will bring security and peace. And if for a moment you'd say, well, he's an evil man, you look crazy. Now, he will be the most wonderful leader ever been on earth. But this is not true. And he will turn very, very nasty very, very quickly. He will dominate. He says he rises here, he is taking over three kingdoms. We know that there are three kingdoms. So he will rise out of this confederate of ten countries or areas, whatever it is. He will dominate. Eventually he will take over the whole ten. And all power will be given to him. He mirrors the power of the devil on earth. He will control everything that is being set. Whatever you see, whatever technology, whatever global technology is being implemented now, all is going to fall into the hands of the Antichrist. He will control everything, and he will be able to decide what you do, what you buy, what you sell, what medical treatment you get, what work you have, whether you can access your bank account, whether you can't access your bank account, what you can buy, what you can't buy. You will have a complete literally world domination, and that's what it's about. He's certainly not going to, uh, like the believers or the Christian, he's going to persecute the church badly. We know that. The Bible keeps on mentioning it. And whoever remains on earth and trusts in Jesus at the time will suffer extreme persecution. So I think this is sort of a... Um, a summary in a nutshell of what we discussed uh, last week. So now let us turn the scriptures and let's read from Daniel 7, Daniel 7 verse 9. Daniel 7 and we'll read to verse 10. I watched till the thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow and his hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousands times ten thousands stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Now, I know that I've taken a sort of a slightly radical approach to teaching this chapter and we split it into what's happening on earth and what's happening in heaven, because I personally felt it flows better when we do that rather than cutting it and coming back to things. But uh, the most special thing about this chapter is that it gives you almost two visions or two parallel visions. And it says, it's almost like, you know, you sit in a, you, you watch a, a program and you look and suddenly, yeah, meanwhile in the other room, yeah, something is happening, and this is exactly that. You know, well, you're getting the description, right? So, meanwhile in heaven, this is happening. So, uh, this is sort of a, an interruption to, to let us know that wh whatever happens on earth has connection to what's happening in heaven. In heaven, you know? Things don't happen randomly on earth. So, throne, thrones were put in place. They're literally seats, or big seats, and uh, when we look, 
confusion. The, the seats are mentioned in Revelation, the book of Revelation as well. And we'll go through that. So I'll, I'll jump into various scripture. You don't have to. I'll read some of them to you, but you can write them down and look them up later because uh, otherwise we will not be able to progress too quickly. Revelation 4.4. 4. Around the throne were 24 thrones. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the throne, I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white, and they had a crowns of gold on their head. So this is really almost a parallel passage, what you're seeing. Also, the timing is more or less right. So what we see, we see basically a court getting ready. Yeah. Now, it's interesting that the elders are mentioned in Revelation, but they're not mentioned in Daniel, are they? You see, the thrones are put in place, they're placed, and the Ancient of Days seated. Now, the Ancient of Days... This repeats in other verses as well in Daniel, in verse 13 and 22. The Ancient of Days is a, a designation, really. In Hebrew, it's atik yumin. Atik, atik is um, what, you, what, when, what you buy in an old shop, basically, yeah? An antique. That's literally what atik is, yeah? Atikot are uh, things that you buy that are very, very old. Yumin comes from the Aramaic yom, yumin, yamim, Days, literally, ancient of days, yeah? The ancient days, literally, that's what it means. Now, this clearly refers to the Godhead. You know, people say, oh, is it God the Father? Is it Jesus? The Bible alternates that, if you see. We know that the three are one. So, often, we have God the Father, God the Son. The Son, remember, always reflects the Father, isn't it? Yeah? The Son always reflects the Father. Jesus, uh, reveals God, God, the two are one. So there's no absolute clarity whether it's Jesus here or whether it's God the Father. Bottom line, it doesn't matter that much. We can see that the 24 thrones, the elders, were sitting around the other throne, which were the Ancient of Days, probably been seated. If we combine Daniel and Revelation, we can get a picture. And that's why we should combine scriptures, all scriptures. So they're sitting there. Now people ask, why, why is it mentioning the elders in Revelation and not in the Old Testament? Now this is a, a good question. One interpretation that you, you'll hear, and it's not confirmed anywhere, but uh, it's plausible that the elders refer to the redeemed church. Many people think so. And as you remember, the Old Testament does not mention the church, often. And we are told that the church is a mystery in Ephesians 3, isn't it? Tell you a mystery, that the church is a mystery. And obviously the mystery is being revealed in Revelation, in the New Testament. So it's, it, it could be that this refers to the redeemed church. So, Yeah, just a uh, reference, uh, but it's okay. White garment. So we have a white garment here as well. So we have the, his garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. Now, this is just a description of purity. And uh, we can see that really appearing again in Revelation 1.14. Again, Revelation Reveal that as well. His head and hair were white as wool, as white as the snow, and his eyes like flaming fire. Revelation 1.14, yes? So this again, it's a parallel scripture. It does to describe the purity of God, the, the lack of sin, the perfection. Yeah. Remember 1 John 1 tells us that uh, God is light and in him there is no darkness. Yeah, God is pure light, it's the purity of God. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth before him. Lots of fire here, isn't it? Yeah, plenty of fire. So, 
the fire is, seems to be a motive repeating in the scriptures. It describes God surrounded by fire. Now, fire is, uh, seems to be the tool of judgment as well. You know, fire is, is in the scriptures hundreds of times referring to the judgment of God. Psalm 104, he makes his angels, spirits, his ministers, flames of fire. Yeah, you got the descriptions also in Ezekiel when the, the angels are like a fire around the, the wheels. Psalm 104, uh, sorry, Deuteronomy 4.24, for the Lord your God is consuming fire, a jealous God. So God is often described as fire, as a judging fire, yeah? You know this, this uh, famous T-shirt that people used to put on. You know, God is love. And then put, it's also consuming fire on the other side. Yeah. So you have the two sides to it. God doesn't like sin. Yeah, and He will judge the world. So the judgment of the world will be in fire, and we'll talk about it a bit later. The wheels again are typical description. We've seen this kind of uh, description in. Uh, Ezekiel, if you open the book of Ezekiel, not now, but uh, at home you can read the, the wheels and the angels in chapter 1 of Ezekiel. This is uh, quite common, and the description of God uh, within fire. Now, the Lord is coming uh, as fire. Now, very, we don't hear that a lot, do we? We normally like to hear that God is just love and uh, is wonderful. But the judgment of the world... Is going to be by fire. Now, this is comforting, I think, to know in many ways because you don't have to worry about what you hear in the news. So, the world is not going to end in 10 years' time, almost certainly, by floods or by melting of the ice caps or anything like that because God, God says the world is not going to end like that, it's going to end in fire. Isaiah 66, verse 15 For behold, will Lord, the Lord will come with fire like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by his sword, God will judge all flesh. Ooh, it's frightening, isn't it? Now again, this can be cross-referenced to Revelation 19, 15. I don't know if you remember, the horses come and they have sword out of the mouth and they kill with the sword all those they have like a fiery sword that they kill. So again, the Bible is consistent. Isaiah, Revelation. No, no difference. So, and I think when God repeats things for us, we need to really listen because he's trying to emphasize a point here. He's trying to tell us, I'm consistent. That's how I'm going to do it. Oh, you missed the first time. I'm going to tell you again. That's how I'm going to do it. That's how I'm going to do it. That's how I'm going to do it. And this is going to happen. So God is very consistent in what he's telling us. So he will judge the world in, by fire. Remember that Peter mentions that in 2 Peter 3, it says, you know, that the, the heaven and the earth are reserved for judgment by fire, doesn't it? Yeah? Peter emphasizes it as well. Yeah? So when they talk about the flood, when, you know, the world was destroyed by flood, but probably people ask him, what's going to happen? Are we, is the world going to be destroyed again by flood? He says, no, 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 no. It's reserved for fire. So now you know. If people ask you how the world is going to end, it's all going to burn. Yeah? So that's the way it is. That's what's going to happen. Now, thousands minister to him. Thousands minister to him. Thousands, thousands minister to him. And some people get uh, sort of hooked on the numbers here, but actually, yes, it's a million, but it's, it's, uh, in other places we have similar description. And this is really to describe uh, a huge amount, yeah? The Bible often says thousands, thousands. It's like a numerous amount, a amount that you cannot actually count. So many minister to him, and 10,000 times 10,000, which is, uh, again, 100 million, I think, stood before him. So again, this is a, an attempt to describe a very large number of people standing before him. Now, there are debates who is standing before him. Uh, there could be angels, they could be saints, some people say it's the saints that actually were 
ruptured and redeemed and standing before God. Yeah. In Revelation 5.11 it says, Then I, I looked and I heard the voice of angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Yeah, so to emphasize my point that it's just talking about large amount here. Yeah, so the vision is confirmed again in heaven in Revelation. Yeah, that's why it's so important that you use scripture to interpret scriptures. And by the way, the best way to do that is to use a cross reference by cross reference Bible or some called Treasury of Scripture. If anybody heard about that, it is really, really useful. It's probably one of the most useful study tools. If you look, you can compare the Bible to the Bible. And it's an amazing trail to go through the treasury of scriptures. Wow, you see the whole thread through the Bible. Amazing piece of work, I think. Yeah, interesting, there is a description also in 1 King 22 that he describes that uh, God is on the throne with the host of heaven left and right. So this is almost a standard vision of God surrounded by this sort of uh, holiness and greatness. And then it says that um, the court was seated and the books were opened. Now, this is a standard court procedure. Yeah, It seems to repeat again we see it later in Revelation as well. But it's a, it's a standard court procedure. When the court comes, when we have to judge somebody, and the court will follow a certain procedure. Uh, as you can see, the, the, everything was set, everything is prepared. You get the, the judge, you get the jury. You know, uh, my wife is going to do jury, jury service next month, and she'll follow a procedure. Yeah, there, there'll be uh, certain rules that the, the jury will be told what they're allowed to do, what they're not allowed to do, when they have to stand, when they have to sit down. And this is really the, the, the description here of what, uh, what it's doing. Now, this is not the final judgment. Yeah? And people, many interpreters are puzzled. Why the books? Why the judgment? Why is it why it's happening now? Well... If you look at verse 26 of Daniel 7, it gives you a hint. But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Yeah? So the two are linked, really. So it's the judgment of the Antichrist. Yeah, the Antichrist is going to be judged. Some people say it's the judgment of the saints after the tribulation, but we know that the saints are not really judged. They are going to come before God. But uh, this is certainly an, an interim judgment, and uh, God is judging the earth. This will be post seven years of terrible times which have come on the earth. The Antichrist managed to destroy everything. And then God is coming back to destroy him. Yeah. So this is the judgment. This is where the judgment is executed. You know, judgment sometimes doesn't take some time because, you know, the court says, well, two years in prison. Yeah. It takes time between the actual, when the court decides until the judgment actually happens. And I think we can see what's happening in heaven. There is a decision in heaven to judge. Yeah, the judgment is taking place. How do we know that? Verse 11, yeah? That I watch then because of all the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they, have, uh, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and time. So we get to a position where the books sort of are open. Now, what books are we talking about? Well, very likely to be the Book of Life. The Book of Life is, is repeating across in the scriptures. Yeah. 
And uh, there is also some other books sometimes mentioned in scriptures. There is in Malachi 3.16. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and meditate on his name. So something, this is a book for the, also books for the believers, which links to the fact that this judgment is linked to the believers as well. Yeah. So it's a, it's a few books were open. But uh, it's very likely to refer primarily to the book of life. Yeah, and those that uh, belong to God. Now, let's see if we talk about it now, yes. So some also say that uh, this judgment is to do with uh, the end of the tribulation, because during the end of the tribulation, remember that many nations will rebel against God. God will destroy them in the Battle of Armageddon, the last, the first Armageddon, and the nations will be destroyed, but not everybody is going into the kingdom of God. So this is a, an opinion that because the kingdom of God will be established on earth, as we will see later, all those who rebelled will not be allowed in the kingdom of God. And the part of this judgment is to, to filter who's gonna come into the kingdom, who is not gonna be in the kingdom. And uh, we can go into lots of details on that, but again, the separate studies over the, the last part of the tribulation and the last uh, 75 or 45 days of the tribulation uh, and the transition to the millennial kingdom. But we can see that uh, the Antichrist was destroyed, wasn't he? He was destroyed completely. Now, I call it the demise of the beast, really, because <laughs> this is what it is. It's, it's, a, it's the beast which deceived the whole world, and now it's being completely uh, eradicated. As quickly as he rose to power, as he took control, he disappeared and he died. Now there is, again, we can cross-reference scripture to get a picture of what's actually happened here. It tells us in Daniel 8.25 that we, he was sort of destroyed with no human means. Yeah, literally with no human means. Yeah. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 2 8 also tells us that uh, it was uh, destroyed. And then the lawless one will, reveal, will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with his breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Yeah. And then in uh, Daniel 11, it describes that he will come to an end. And no one will help him. So you can build up a picture of what's happening here, really, to the, to the Antichrist. He is in the middle of a campaign. He's probably uh, leading his army to attack, and he suddenly died. Something happened. God destroyed him. He says God destroyed him with his coming. Interesting, because I can see parallels here almost to Alexander the Great, isn't it? Yeah, for me, it just came to my mind that you can see Alexander died at the age of, I think, 32, something like that. And um, nobody ever expected him to die suddenly. He was the greatest uh, leader ever. And uh, he was uh, very sexually immoral. He was involved, he had a disease, uh, and he eventually died. He died very quickly, and the world was sort of shocked what's going to happen now. And I think we'll have, we'll have the same situation, because such a great leader who did all the things, and suddenly is gone. Suddenly, God is revealed. Everything changes very, very quickly. Now, it talks about uh, the beast was slain and its body destroyed, given to burning flame. And the rest of the beasts, yeah, what, what, are, the rest, what, what are the rest of the beasts? The dominion was taken away and the lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Difficult words, difficult verse, yeah? So, we know in Revelation 19, we have the description of the beast and the false prophet uh, dominating. We, as we talked last time about the kingdom of the Antichrist, the kingdom has sort of lots involved in it. See, remember, the Antichrist didn't rule on his own. He was the supreme leader, but there were all set of government and control and, and process and people who obeyed him and uh, manage the world. It has the governance, the government side, the economical side, and the religious side. Yeah, it's very clear in Revelation there is a very strong religious 
element to the kingdom of the Antichrist. It's a false religion, of course, but everybody is following it. And there is governance, there is a control, you cannot buy or sell if the, if the Antichrist wants to. So there is a, an overall control and governance mechanism uh, of the Antichrist. Yeah? And there is an economical side to it as well. Yeah? We can see nowadays we are moving towards a global, global currency. Everybody is talking about digital currency now. And I don't think we're very far from our current uh, method of buying and selling disappearing. Cash is almost uh, difficult to use in many places. Many places have this note, only credit cards. I don't know if you notice that, yeah? Only taking credit cards, not taking cash. So if there is cash, you're stuck. So I think the world is moving towards this kind of technology and system. So for me, the, the beast is probably his cabinet, if you know what I mean. The, 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 the beast's cabinet, the little beasts, but they're actually helping him to manage the whole a system of political, religious, and economical uh, uh, infrastructure around him. Now, the, the last element of prolonged for a season and a time is not clear. And as I say, some prophecy will be, be, be made clear as we progress. But this could be referring to a season and a time, often to be a year and a half, or a year, or a period where some of these people survived for a while, but then they were removed and disappeared. And the exact sequence of events, we will not know until we probably get closer to the period. Okay, let's read from verse 13 to verse 14 now. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed." Well, having all these dreams, no wonder Daniel was disturbed, uh, seeing all this stuff in one dream, one night. Yeah, so Daniel obviously is trying to describe what he saw. He can only describe it with the language that he has at the time. Remember that. You know, people say, well, it's not described in modern language. This is because this language didn't exist. And when he sees certain things that we can recognize today, he doesn't recognize them. So he uses whatever vocabulary he has, generally. So I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man. Now, this is clearly talking about Jesus. Why do we know that? Because Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man throughout the New Testament. Actually, about 81 times. 81 times he referred to himself as the Son of Man. So this is pretty consistent. So we know Daniel is referring to Jesus. It literally means son of man, Ben Enosh, or Bar Enosh in Aramaic. Yeah? Enosh, is, uh, Enosh is the word for a man or a person. Yeah? And Bar or Ben is the son, son of man. That's what he is described. So, there's no doubt that Jesus is coming back that way. Now, this is also consistent in scriptures. It tells us that uh, in Deuteronomy 33, if you look with me, the Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir. He, he shone forth from the Mount uh, of Paran and he came with ten thousands of his saints. Ten thousands of his saints. So who are these saints? Well, if the saints are still on earth, how can he come back with ten thousands of his saints? So another thing that makes you think, doesn't it? Yeah. So the saints must be in heaven when Jesus comes back. He comes back with us. We are the saints. Yeah, coming back with him. 
And that's why you shouldn't really want to see Jesus when he comes back. You have to really be worried if you're seeing Jesus when he comes back because if you see his face, he's coming towards you, isn't he? If you're coming with him, you're coming behind him. So uh, seeing Jesus' face is actually a sign of judgment, actually. So if you're coming with him, we will we'll be coming with him from, from heaven. So this is uh, how he comes back. Now, Zechariah 14 mentions it as well. It says, the Lord, my God, comes with all the saints with you. Jesus referred to it in the Olivet Discourse. He said in Matthew 24, they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. So if anybody has any doubt, yeah, this is absolutely talking about Jesus. Yeah, Matthew 26, in coming in the clouds of heaven, again, he's repeating that. He's mentioning, you'll see, that, remember when he testified, when they asked him, are you the Messiah, when the, um, the high priest interrogated him and said, who are you? He said, I'm the son of God, and you'll see the son of man coming in the clouds of heaven. Yeah? And he, then they almost wanted to stone him to death, didn't they? Because he said, yeah. Now, yeah. Frightening, isn't it? I wouldn't like to be there. Let's see what's... Yeah, these people don't realize the, how serious the judgment of God is. You know, when you read these verses, when you read these descriptions... It's amazing. It's, it's, it's terrifying, you know, what's going to happen to the world here. People don't realize that. Uh, they are in, in this true and present danger, you know, for people who do not trust in God. And that's why we should be encouraged to bring as many people to Christ now, because the judgment is going to be terrible. And the time is getting shorter and shorter for us to do that. Yeah. Yeah, another reference, if you want, is uh, one which I actually like a lot, is Jude. And Jude describes uh, Enoch uh, mentioning that, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints, so confirming that again and again and again, yeah? God is coming with ten with thousands of his saints. Now, the, the kingdom of God, now he's coming with his saints, and he came to the Ancient of Days and brought him near before him. Then he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages will serve him. This is almost a parallel to what was with the Antichrist. Remember, their, their fourth kingdom was kingdom which controlled the whole world, but it was just a temporary kingdom, the kingdom of men. And kingdoms of men are always bound to fail. The wisdom of men is, is futile in the eyes of God, it says. Yeah. So this kingdom has, has fallen. But the kingdom of God the fifth kingdom, is going to last forever. Now, what does it mean? It means that it lasts forever. <laughs> yeah? It means that it's never going to finish. So what's going to be after? No, nothing going to be after. This is, your eternal, this is the eternal kingdom. It lasts forever. What, what, what do you mean by that? Well, you, you're going to be thousands of years with Jesus on earth. This is the, the kingdom on earth after he comes back. And then they're going to be the, the new heaven and the new earth, which is forever. Yeah, God says this very clearly in Revelation. There's no sort of an interim government here or somebody taking control. There is one rebellion, the end of the thousand years, he described in Revelation of the devil. Because what's happening to the Antichrist is being thrown into the pit, yeah, with the false prophet. And the devil, who deceived the whole world, is also bound down there, the Revelation tells us. So, and they are bound and they are released. We don't know why. The Bible doesn't tell us. It just gives us the fact, the fact that uh, they'll be released and they'll, uh, they'll come back. Yeah? So we, we sometimes don't get the full explanation in scriptures to how things are going to happen. So full dominion will be given to Jesus. This is, again, this is uh, repeated in scriptures a lot, yeah? Luke 1.33, yes, it says that he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will be of no end. And to him every knee shall bow, I think Rob mentioned it earlier when we read 
the Psalms, every knee shall bow. Now, how can every knee shall bow? You know, because they're all dead, don't they? How can they all bow to Jesus? So the options are very simple for most people who live today. They can either bow to Jesus now or they'll bow to, the, to him later. So how can they bow to him later? Well, they're going to be resurrected to judgment and then they'll confess that he is Lord one day. God says clearly that every knee, every knee is everybody. There are no exceptions here. There are no, you, you can't present sort of an exception card to that or any. Every knee shall bow. Every leader in the world, everybody you see on the news, everybody who blasphemes God will bow to Jesus and say that he is Lord. So you have a choice. Either you accept Jesus now, because we are already bowing to him, the, the saints, the believers already accept Jesus, so we are already bowing to his will or you'll bow to, to him later. It's a bit like a loan. Either you pay it now, you pay it later. But for sure you will bow, and you will confess that Jesus is Lord. There's no doubt about that. Yeah? Now, the kingdom of God, he says he's going to be establish it and rule over, so we had, rule over Jacob forever. So how come Jacob, how Jacob comes into it? We have to remember that the part of the tribulation, the tribulation has, has few purposes. One of the big purposes is to judge the world, to judge the, the people. But the other purpose is to also uh, bring the kingdom of God and restore the Jewish people back to God. So together with the believers, the current Christians, the believers who have already believed, the house of Jacob will join. Now, it's clearly described in the scriptures that Jesus will rule from Jerusalem, not from Hampton, not from London, not from anywhere else. It's going to be the, the house of the Lord will be on Mount Zion. If you search the word Zion in the scriptures, you'll find it many, 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 many times. And this is constantly uh, mentioned. Isaiah 2.2, in the latter days, the mountain of the Lord yeah, the house should be established and all nations shall flow to it. All nations will go to Jerusalem. Well, it's amazing, isn't it? Let's see if we can go to... Oops. I'll try to find a piece of scripture and see if we can go there. Yeah, if you go with me to um, Zechariah, the book of Zechariah, the book of Zechariah is uh, just towards the end, if you don't know it, before the book of Malachi. So if you go there, you'll find the book of Zechariah, chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 16. This gives a really clear description of the millennial kingdom. Verse 16. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all nations which came against Jerusalem. So this ties very clearly to what we said. There were going to be a battle. Lots of people will die because God describes, remember, the swords of the horses coming out, destroying all the nations. But many will survive. And those who survive will have one choice here. As Jerusalem shall go up from here to here to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and keep the feast of tabernacles, and it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. Doesn't sound good. If a family of Egypt will not come up to enter, they shall have no rain, and they shall receive the plague with which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the feast of tabernacles. This shall be punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up, up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, this is very clear what's going to happen towards the end of the tribulation, isn't it? So we're going to get a, a judgment of God on the nations. We're going to get all the nations obeying and living and coming and worshipping the Lord. 
Now, why do we need the Millennial Kingdom? What's the main one of the purpose of the Millennial Kingdom? One of the purposes is also to reward us, the saints. Remember, Jesus talks about it a lot and says, uh, uh, if you follow me, you will be rewarded. Yeah? Lots of metaphors of reward, you know, the talents and rewards. And a very clear one is in Luke 19. And he says that, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in little, have authority over ten cities. What ten cities? If this doesn't exist, if this is not true, what ten cities am I going to control if I was been loyal to? Yeah? It must be real cities. Yes. What do you mean by that? Real cities, yes. You're going to be in charge of ten cities. I'll give you ten cities there. You're in charge of that, yeah? Remember, because there'll be believers, there'll be non-believers among us still in the millennial kingdom. And there are lots of questions and debates and things. Uh, again, the bottom line, the, Bi- the Bible doesn't give us all the information how it's going to happen. But uh, from the scriptures that we have, we know there's going to be a millennial kingdom because it's mentioned clearly in scriptures in the Old and New Testament. That Jesus will reign. He will uh, control everything. Everybody will obey him. He will have full dominion. Full dominion. With full dominion, everything is under his control. All nations. Yeah? Verse 14. All nations, all people, all languages will serve him. Now the dominion is everlasting. It will not pass away. And will never be destroyed. I know it's difficult for us to perceive that, isn't it? Because we can't really imagine that because we are now in a, in a completely different place. Now, what's going to happen to the people of Israel? And we can see the, almost the, the trend happening now, unfortunately. Uh, obviously, because people ask me a lot about this, about the Jewish people and what's going to happen in the tribulation and stuff. And yeah. Initially, the beginning of the tribulation, the Antichrist and people of Israel will be good friends. Yeah? Remember, the Antichrist just followed the global government. It's just is arising from the global government. This could be from the United Nations, could be from another from the Confederate. We don't know what structure is gonna be, but the structure can be set up very quickly. He is gonna make peace or ensure that the peace is maintained. And, and this is, again, another whole discussion. We can, we can read that in Daniel chapter 9, which verse 27 describes the seven years and what's going to happen. Halfway through the tribulation, as we could see here, we talked about it last week, about the three and a half years, he's going to turn his back on them. He's going to stop sacrifices. There will be a third temple which will be built not a true temple as we know it, and not a, this is not the fourth temple described in Ezekiel, yeah? This is not the, the final one. And in the last three years, three and a half years, he's going to persecute Israel. He's going to rise against it. Israel is going to scatter them. He says clearly in Zechariah and other parts of Zechariah that two thirds will die, unfortunately, will be destroyed. But the ones who survive, when he comes back, will accept him as Messiah. This is also clear in scriptures. So, um, and he will judge the nations according to how they treated the people of Israel as well uh, during the period, this period. You can see that in Joel chapter 3. And it's very similar to Matthew 25 when we have the, the judgment of the nations the sheep and the goat, and Joel chapter 3 gives you a clear focus on, I'll, I'll judge them how they treated my people Israel. So this will be a judgment of God against the nations. And this is how we'll enter the millennial kingdom. Yeah? And this will be the, the beginning of the millennial kingdom. So what do we learn from that? We probably live in a sort of dark period now that we can't really appreciate it. And I think that's why I wanted to teach Daniel, because it does give hope. It does give uh, encouragement that things that God... We've seen the film. We know it's going to end. Yeah, God wins. Yeah? 
It's the end, the end God wins. I mean, that's the bottom line. You know, it says, you know, whatever happens, God is going to win. The, the, the kingdom is going to belong to God. No evil forces can change the plan of God. No, no prophecy, no, no single prophecy written in this book will not be fulfilled. Every prophecy will be fulfilled. Everything which is written in this book will be fulfilled to the letter. We can see the move exactly as Scripture described to global government, to, uh, to deception, and the Antichrist, as you remember, will use deception. People will be deceived. They'll follow him. And uh, he will use all the tools at the time to deceive people. With a, it will be media, it will be communication, it will be uh, anything which will be available at the time. We also could see, especially in the last 18 months, how things can change quickly. How quickly things can change. Now, if we talked about things that happened the last 18 months, two years ago, we said, well, this could happen. You would laugh. You say, well, no way. I mean, this is years ahead. And I think the thing about Christians, they, they read the Bible, they read all the descriptions, and uh, they think it's almost like a science fiction film. Yeah, they, they read it and think it's, it's, you read it, but you don't really read it. Do you know what I mean? You read, yes, Revelation is going to be all this stuff and going to be all the, all the bits, but it doesn't really apply to me now, does it? Yeah. It's not going to affect me now. Well, it does. It does. Things can change very, very quickly. And you, as a believer, will see the setup. Now, people are a bit relaxed. Well, if I'm not going to be here, well, you may be here for quite a while before God decides to take you out. You may be see quite a lot of setup. You may be see quite a lot of persecution against the church here. Because God is sovereign. He will take you out when he decides it's the right time to take you out. Yeah. So it doesn't mean that you should not hold to your faith strongly now. And now it's the right time to hold to your faith. Yeah. You need to really understand scriptures, understand where things are going. Be like the Berean Jews and check in Acts 17 that check that everything is true. You know, the Berean Jews didn't believe Paul when he came. He said, "Well, you're saying Jesus is the Messiah. What do you base your facts on?" Well, he says, "Oh, here it is. Here it is. Here it is. Oh, this makes sense. Yeah." Now we understand, yeah, we can see, we cross from, he is the Messiah. And we have to be like Bereans, for, but everything, you know? We have to check everything and see whether it's true or not. And trust God. The most important, I think, the most, um, the greatest enemy of man is fear. Yeah? The greatest enemy of man is fear. You see, every regime that rises to power, including the Antichrist and this the, the global government and whatever we see here, will use fear for people to obey. It's the, the easiest way to do that. Yeah, You create, generate fear and people will do absolutely anything. Yeah, Because the, the natural thing for a human being is I want to preserve my life, so I'll do everything that I can survive. Yeah, But God says that we should not fear. Yeah, We should not fear. Because God is in control of your life. You know, you gave your life to Christ. If you're born again, if you receive the Spirit of God, God, you gave your life to Christ. Yeah, you died when you, when you were born again. You died to the world, and you live in Christ. You're already dead. Yeah, there's nothing to be afraid of. You're already dead. <laughs> you belong to Jesus. Yeah, and you think He's taking you through all this. Troubles, and if you look at your life and what's happened and how what Jesus has done to your life throughout in the last 10, 20, 30 years, go back to uh, how you were saved and all the miracles that happened. Do you think that suddenly he's going to say, Well, well, you exhausted your miracle uh, uh, sort of bank now, you were allowed 15 miracles, you know, coming to 16. I don't know, this is an extra charge. Yeah, no, it's not going to happen. God is loyal and truthful. And he will protect you in all circumstances. This applies to everywhere. It applies to your place of work. It applies to your neighbors. It applies to your friends. It applies to whatever we're going to face in the next, well, I want to say next few years. We may be facing in the next few months. We don't know, yeah, what we're going to be facing again.
Yeah, obviously, Satan doesn't want us to get together. He doesn't want us to worship God. He doesn't want us to know the scriptures. He, he wants to isolate Christians, to make them separate from his word yeah, and deceive them. Yeah. So I think the most important message here is trust in the promises of God. Yeah, trust in the promises of God. His kingdom is coming. It's not if, it's a matter of when. Yeah? This is absolutely certain. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that uh, you are so great and wonderful, that all dominion and power is yours, Lord, that you're going to be king over the earth. We pray, Lord, that um, you'll help us in these sort of last days to share the message, to have a sense of urgency, Lord, to, for people to come to, to you. That uh, people will be able to see that they are sinners. That they will repent of their sins and realize that Jesus died for them on the cross. And with this, they'll be born again. They'll receive a new life in him that cannot be taken away. An eternal life in the kingdom and forever and ever, Lord. We pray that you'll protect us, you look after us this week, you'll bless us, you'll bless the work of the church, you'll bless uh, us sharing your word, Lord. And we pray for all those who are not well again, Lord, that uh, you'll uh, heal them. And we thank you greatly, Lord, for, for your grace and love to us and the fact that we can meet together consistently, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord. Amen.